Guys, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come together tonight, Father. And we, uh, as we've gone through this series just on the, the different revivals, Lord, we do it to honor you, Lord, to honor the times that you've chosen to come down and to move among us, Lord. And we thank you right now for what you're doing in us as a, as a church, Lord, and also as your body, Father. We ask tonight, Lord, that you're... The exact words you want to be spoken, Lord, that they come forth, Father. What you want us to receive tonight, Father, that it get down deep into us, Father. Become part of our spiritual DNA. And that, Father, it be a word into good fertile soil, Father, that it take root deep in us. And, and Lord, it's something that we're able to hold on to. And as we continue to walk with you, Lord, that it, it it's something that sticks with us. Father, I ask for all of those that are here tonight, Lord, that they uh, that their attention is kept during this, Lord, that they, that they honor you with that. For those that are listening out on live stream, we thank you for them, Lord. We ask that, Father, that they receive the fullness of what you have just as if they were here, Lord. And for those that will hear this later, we thank you, Father, your blessing on them as well. Father, we, we thank you for what we're doing, and in Jesus' name, we just thank you that you help us to receive the fullness of what you have tonight. Amen. All right, guys. Tonight we are talking about the Hebrides awakening, and uh, it's a little different than what we've we've spoken to before. Uh, the last few months we talked about the camp meeting revivals that took place in the early 1800s in Kentucky, and then last month we talked about uh, Azusa at the turn of the 19th century. Um, and today we're talking uh, about the Hebrides revival, which took place uh, right at the very end of the 1940s and into the early 1950s. And this uh, revival or awakening, whatever you want to call it, it was a little different than the others. If you, if you want to think about the others, um, you know, with the camp meeting revivals, it wasn't so much that it took place in a building, because as we, as we remember a lot of it, why would they were called the camp meeting revivals, they were too big for the buildings. But it was kind of in the same geographical area, in, the, in kind of a small enclosed space. And then Azusa Street basically took place, started at Bonnie Bray Street, right, in the house, moved to the building. But again, it was kind of... It's kind of localized to this to one area. The Hebrides revival was very unique in that it, it started with a small group of people praying, and we're going to talk about that. But when when God came down, it wasn't just in the church building. It wasn't in. It wasn't just the people that were there gathered together seeking the Lord. When when He came down and He answered these people's prayers, it went through the whole island, the whole the whole area around them. There were people that were asleep in their house that literally got woke up under the conviction of God. They had no idea that someone was down the street praying. And, and God's spirit, when it moved, it moved through the whole community. And people were people had no idea what was happening. They just knew that all of a sudden, that what was going on in their lives wasn't right before the Lord. And they needed something. And people literally were getting out 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, waking up out of bed, wandering out into the streets. They didn't know what to do. They just knew, I'm not right. I need help. And uh, people were just showing up at church, 4 or 5 in the morning, and 90 people, 100 people just show up and the pastor's like okay i guess we'll have service you know let's get let's get them right so 
The Hebrides uh, Islands, they're a small group of islands off the western coast of Scotland. Um, the revival really took place kind of 1948 to 52 time frame. Um, and as we started to say earlier, it, it wasn't a group of a thousand people that were seeking the Lord. It wasn't a group of 500 people that were seeking the Lord. It literally started with seven men in a barn and two, as Pastor said, old little intercessor ladies who knew the Lord and that were seeking His face. And and they they grasped a hold of something. They grasped a hold of a truth. And and what it was was they said, you know, God, you're not a liar. You you don't you're not like man. You don't ever break your word. They said God is a covenant keeping God. And they looked to the Bible and they and they found these verses. And Second uh, Chronicles seven uh, seven fourteen says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and they pray and they seek my face. And they turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven. And I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. And they looked at that and they said... They said, God, you're a covenant-keeping God. If we do this first part, right, if we do the if part, if we do this, if we do our part, if we pray, if we, if we seek your face, if we humble ourselves, and we, and we live holy, we get the sin out of our lives, then you're going to do the second part. And that second part, he's going to hear them from heaven. He's going to forgive them of their sins, and he's going to heal their land. He's going to bring revival. And, and that's what they grasped a hold of. And they said, Lord, we know you're not a liar. We know that what you say will come true. So they grasped a hold of that. And literally, as Pastor started to tell a little bit before I started, guys, the, the area they were in, the, the Hebrides Islands, um, it kind of, the, the culture, or the, the religion of the day was kind of a mixture. Um, you know, if you think about that, they're real close to Ireland and, and the Celtic religion. So you had a lot of that Celtic influence. Um, you had the Catholicism. Uh, I forget the Queen's name that was there. But so you had kind of this mixture of paganism, Catholicism, and some Christianity. And so there wasn't, uh, it wasn't a true Christianity. And the people, um, like Pastor was saying, the people that had been there and that knew what it meant to live for the Lord and to live a holy Christian. Life, they were looking around them and they were saying, This isn't right, this can't stay this way. And the youth of that day, the kids, they were out in bars and they were, you know, they were dancing in dance halls and they were drinking and they wanted nothing to do with God. And if you think about it, a lot of us have grown up that way, right? You look and you see, if you see a version of Christianity that doesn't have power and you look at the people that are supposed to be Christian and they're not living a Christian lifestyle, they're lying to each other, they're cheating on each other, they're, they're not living holy. That's what these kids were seeing, and but yet you had this you had this small group, right? You had the remnant that was like, "This isn't right, and this isn't what our, this isn't representing the God that we know and the God that we want to see." And they decided we're going to get together and we're going to pray about it. And three or four days a week, they would meet in this barn, these seven men, and they would pray till three or four o'clock in the morning. And they and they'd ask the Lord, you know, visit us. We you know come come spend time with us, help us heal our land. Um, and, and finally, one night, uh, one of the men was there, and he was a young deacon, and he opened his Bible to Psalm 24, and, and he read this verse. It says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? 
He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who shall not lift up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. And, you know, they've been praying now for months, right? And not just to get together for 30 minutes and pray or get together for an hour and pray. They were praying three and four times a week until three, four, five in the morning, really seeking the Lord. And and he reads this verse and he goes and he goes. God, he's like, we're not doing this right. We're not see, we're seeking the Lord and we're praying, but are our hearts right? Is, are our hands clean? And, and he said, if they are, then the Lord should be moving. And and he looked up at, at, the, at the sky up at, right to God and he said, Lord, he said, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And he fell down on his on his knees and he started repenting. He was, anything in his life, Lord, take anything out of me that's keeping me from being with you. And then he started repenting on behalf of the the area that he lived in and the community. He started interceding and asking for forgiveness on them. And the other men that were there with him did the same thing. And it's very similar to what we're doing, right, guys? I mean, every Tuesday night we're coming together and we're asking the Lord to move and we're asking Him to, uh, you know, we're confessing the sins of of our area. Area, right of Dallas and Fort Worth and and of the United States and then of, of, as people as a whole and we're saying Lord forgive us that's what these people did and, and when they did that I uh, said that was around four in the morning when he had that kind of revelation they began repenting and seeking and they got down on their face um, and at five o'clock five a.m. said God responded and everything changed God the, his presence filled their barn. And not only did it fill their barn, but it shot out into their into their into their uh, area they lived in the community. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in a second here. But all right, so these are our seven men that are praying in a barn, right? At the same time, you have two little itty bitty elderly women intercessors, powerful Peggy and uh, Christine Smith. Uh, Peggy was 82, Christine was 84. So like Pastor said, these are little women that have been, you can see Pastor smiling, he's just got, he, he knows these women, he, he knows, they're just little women that love the Lord and have been praying for years and years. And uh, that same night, they got, they got a word from the Lord. The Lord told them, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty in floods upon the dry ground. And they told, they told, he told them that night, he said, I'm going to give you a man to preach this revival. His name's Duncan Campbell. And so uh, the, old, the, the men are in the barn praying. The little old ladies are in their little cottage praying. And, and God gives them this word. And, and he, he sends his spirit out. And uh, like I said earlier, not only was it in that little barn or in that cottage, but th- that night God moved through that whole town, that whole village. And, and people started waking up. And, and they started wandering out into the street. And, they, and they're like, something's not right. We need, we need help. We need, you know, and, and it all kind of started started right right there now the funny thing i told you that they that the lord told him duncan campbell is is the man to preach well duncan campbell wasn't in that area at the time he was off uh, you know uh, another part of the country uh, preaching somewhere else so they go the little ladies go to their pastor and they say you know we need to send for duncan campbell and and they do they say you know they send word and they say hey we you know we've been told by god that you you need to come and preach this revival and duncan 
who's already, you know, I'm thinking kind of, you know, think back to like Steve Hill, right? He's got his itinerary. He's got places he's been booked to, to preach at. And Duncan respectfully sends back to them and says, thanks for, thanks for inviting me, but I'm already booked to be in this other town holding a revival. Um, you know, maybe next year I can make my way out there. And a lot of people at that point might have gotten kind of discouraged, right? But these little ladies are like, no, no, no. We, we, I know that's what you think. I know, I know that's what man says, but um, we heard from God, and you know, and, and they said to they said to the people in their church, they said he'll he'll be here within two weeks, and. Uh, so Duncan finishes up where he's at, where he's preaching, and he goes to go to his next town. And when he gets there, hmm, interestingly enough, he finds out that the board of tourism in that town has decided to hold a convention. And when they, with their convention, they filled up every hotel, every spot people could come stay. So now Duncan's there to hold his revival, and there's no no one for nowhere for anyone to stay. And they basically tell him, they're like, look, we, we can't have you here now. So uh, he goes... All right, and he's well. I guess I'll I guess I'll go to uh, the Iowa Lewis. I guess I'll go to the to Hebrides. So uh, he shows up. The you know the women are like, ah, you made it, great. You know, glad to have you here. And um, and that's kind of how things started. Um, it was interesting, like like Pastor told you, the the first meeting he had. You know, you think about all this build-up, right? You've been these these guys have been praying. The little old ladies have been praying. God starts to move. Uh, he tells them the revival's coming. He says, "Go get this man," um, and they show up. And yeah, the first meeting. Nothing, nothing special really happens. It's just you know, his church is normal. And I'm sure for him that had to be that had to be hard. The other thing I thought was funny. When they first met Duncan, the first person that he he saw is, that was part of the church. And you know, I know they go probably sent someone to go pick him up, right? The first question the person asked him doesn't say hi, hi, Mister Duncan, we're, or hi, Mister Campbell. We're happy to have you. So glad you're here. He he says, "Hello, Mister Campbell. Are you living right before God?" They, he, they wanted to know, right? They said, hey, if, if we're going to have this revival, you got to be living holy. That's the first question that they asked him. So he said, uh, I guess he answered and said, you know, I, I, I believe I am. And, uh, you know, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm his and I'm in his hands. Uh, and that, that's how it started. Um, so, guys, one of the things that, as, that I've been looking at as we've, as we've studied these revivals, right, is kind of what brings revival? What are the... God's different, right? And He doesn't move in the exact same way at any point. And, and He does that because He's not a God of formulas. You can't just say A plus B is going to equal C. But if you look at the course of history through the revivals that are happening, there are common elements. There's things that you see time and again. And it's because you're setting the atmosphere. You're getting things prepared so that God is able to move and He wants to be there. And one of the things that I looked at as we started studying this one, you know, what brings revival? First thing, and we see this every time, the atmosphere is soaked in prayer, right? These We talked about these men that were seeking God and inviting Him to be there, these little old ladies. If you look back to the Argentine revival, every before every meeting that Carlos Anacondia did, before they went to a town, they would pray and intercede over that town for, you know, for months before they were released to go there. Um, you look at... Um, I'm drawing blanks, but any, any, basically every revival that has taken place, it starts with, with prayer ahead of time. Um, 
and, and that's biblical. Uh, if you look at the scripture, Isaiah 66, 8, it says, When Zion travailed, and what is travail? That's, that's praying, that's interceding. She brought forth. And what she brought forth, that means that's when the souls came into the kingdom. And uh, it was interesting. One of the uh, one of the intercessors during these meetings was a lady by the name of, of Barbara. And uh, someone asked her later on, they said, what was the revival like? Did you enjoy it? What was it like in the meetings? And she said, um, well, here, I'll read, I'll read to you her account. She said, revival is wonderful for some people. She said, but for us, and at this point she's talking about the intercessors, she says, there were a number of us who weren't in the meetings. See, the breath of the Spirit of God would come on, and it was like a woman in childbirth. We would fill up and up and up with the breath of God, and it would be it would be an agony. And suddenly, a new soul would be born into the kingdom, and there would be relief as that new soul was born. And then the weight of his presence would come again and we'd fill up again and again and others were being born into the kingdom and so it went on again and again and again through revival and guys there was prayer coming into the revival prayer is the is the fuel that keeps the engine moving in revival and these these women and and these men that were intercessors uh you know, revival is great and these people were being saved. There were a whole bunch of people that didn't get to see that. They didn't get to see firsthand because they were behind the scenes, right? And when you get to heaven someday, guys, these are going to be the people that are, you know, it talks about earning your crowns of righteousness in heaven. You know, they may not have been on the front lines during revival. They might not have been the one in the front praying for people. But up in heaven, I promise you, those people are esteemed. And they're like, these these people, they're mighty warriors, right? They, they birthed, they travailed, they interceded. They didn't get glory on earth. But who wants glory on earth, right? It's up in heaven you want the glory. Um, thinking now more revivals. So I know they've talked about, Reinhard Bonnke talks about, he would actually have people that would pray under the stage um, while he was holding these meetings. And the same principle, these are people that aren't seen publicly here on earth, but in heaven there's a great reward for them. Duncan Campbell was the, uh, as we talked about earlier, was the main preacher throughout this. And one of the one of his quotes that was uh, that was talked about later on, uh, talking about the people that that prayed, he said, "More was wrought through and wrought guys just means delivered, brought forth. More was wrought through the prayers of these men and women, the intercessors, than all of the ministers put together, including myself." And, and basically, what he was saying, guys, is. The, all you're seeing when the when the ministers are there is you're seeing the the tip of the spear that's that's actually piercing into the darkness and is seeing the people saved. But the power that comes to to allow for that is based on all of the prayer of the ministers themselves, but also the intercessors that are behind them. So first thing you need for revival, guys, is just an atmosphere that's soaked in prayer. Second thing. You need faith. And these people realized faith in a covenant-keeping God. And covenant, a covenant is like a contract, guys. It's binding on both sides, right? If I covenant with someone over something, that means that I say, if I do this, you'll do that. Or if you do this, I'll do that. Um, 
So let's look at Chris, right? And the, the life, that, uh, I know he just switched jobs, but he, he had a job where he said uh, he would go to people and he'd say, if I clean your windows, you'll pay me $18. And they said, and they and they covenanted. They agreed. They said, "That's right." So, guess what? When Chris showed up and he cleaned their windows in Jeremiah, wherever he went to, they uh, they they paid him. Right? Guess what? If he doesn't show up, they don't pay him. That's how a covenant works. You you got both both sides are bound to it. So these men and women of God and at the Hebrides revival, they said, okay, we've got these scriptures, we've got these promises. If we do what, what the Word of God says, then God's going to do His part. And we, we talked that a little earlier. If we, if we pray, if we humble ourselves, if we seek His face, if we, if we turn from our wicked ways, we stop doing the junk we know we're not supposed to do, then God's going to see that from heaven because he's always watching us, right? No, uh, and he, he knows the hairs on your head. No sparrow falls without him knowing. He's always watching. He's going to see that and he's going he's gonna to forgive you of your sins when you do that and he's going to heal your land. He's going to send his spirit to come forth and to, and to help you. Um, I talked to guys a little earlier that this, the the... Revival took place not just in one locale, right? I mean, it was across a, a bunch of islands. And one town uh, was particularly known for its spiritual dryness. They wanted nothing to do with God. And it was a town called Arnal. And their youth um, were, were known for being notoriously rebellious. They, would, they were caught stealing all the time. They were out drinking. They were partying. Uh, they were in bars, and they were very disrespectful of their of you know any elders or anyone. And um, Duncan Campbell was getting ready to go preach there, and he said, "All right, before we go, we're gonna we're gonna intercede. We're gonna spend some time in prayer." And they went to a, a small farmhouse, and uh, they asked uh, a local blacksmith that was from the town of Arnold John if he would pray over it. And I want you to hear his prayer. He said, "Oh God." You made a promise to pour water on dry ground, right? Remember, that's what he's, that's what he's told the little old ladies, the intercessors. And, and, and this guy, John, says, you made this promise, Lord, and it's not happening. He said, for the, ta- for the town of Arnall, he said, Lord, I don't know how the others here stand in your presence, and I don't know how these ministers stand, but Lord, if I know anything about my own heart, I stand before you an empty vessel. He's saying, I don't have anything to offer, God. You, you have to move. And he says, I'm an empty vessel thirsting for you, for a manifestation of your presence, of your power. And he says, oh God, your honor is at stake. Right? We talked about this. He made a co- God made a covenant. And these men and, women, these men and women of God said, we're doing our part. We're praying. We're humbling ourselves. We're seeking you. And, and he's saying, Lord, your honor is at stake. And I challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement and to do what you promised to do. Whew. That's some faith. You gotta, you gotta know the Lord if you're gonna pray a prayer like that, right? I mean, here's the creator of all of heaven and earth, and you're basically saying, God, you said you're gonna do this, and now I'm calling you out. Your honor's at stake. Your name is on the line here. Do do this. What do you think happened next, guys? Yeah, <laughs> the spirit fell, that's right. So uh, I told you they were in a small farmhouse, right? So the dishes on the dresser in the farmhouse start shaking, rattling. 
and God turns loose his power. And uh, simultaneously, God's spirit swept through that entire village. People were awakened from sleep under the God's conviction. They said lights went on throughout the whole village all at once, right? It's dark. It's Everyone's gone to bed except for these people that are praying. And uh, all of a sudden, lights start turning on. Uh, people are wandering into the streets. They're falling down on their knees under convic- the conviction of, the God, of God. Within 48 hours, all of the bars and the dance halls in that town had closed their doors. It boarded up, boarded them up. And uh, these young men and women that had wanted nothing to do with God, they gave their life to the Lord. They said there were 16 of them, I think if I remember right, that um, started going, they, they started having prayer meetings. And these young men who, who a week before had wanted nothing to do with God, who were drinking, who were out bar hopping, were out dancing, started coming to these prayer meetings. And uh, they were talking about one man, individ- one main individual, um, a gentleman by the name of Donald McPhail. Um, and he was 16 years old, and he was in this town of Arnall, and he was there when that this occurred. And uh, the next, the next thing we're going to talk about is, uh, uh, you know, we, we said what what do you what brings revival? And we talked about an atmosphere of prayer. We talked about faith and a covenant keeping God. The third thing is a reality and a consciousness of who God really is. And I'm not, and guys, that's something that we all strive for, right? We, when I think when you're first saved, you you heard what people say who God is, and you might have even read your Bible some, and you start to understand a little bit about who God is. But as you walk with the Lord over your over your the time that you're saved, you begin to get to know God. And it's, it's the same as if you're in a relationship, you know, with a significant other, right? The longer you know them, the more, the more you know about them. The more you know their character, the more you know their personality. And um, when, you, when you start to have a, a consciousness, a reality of who God is, you begin to have faith. Because you understand that God is for you and He's not against you. And his, his plans for you and His will for you is to prosper you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. And so many people that, that don't know the Lord, they picture Him up in heaven looking down with like a lightning bolt, right? Just saying, oh, go ahead and sin. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And that's the farthest thing from what God is. God has such a love and a desire for us. He, he wants to know you. He wants to commune with you. The, the reason that He hates sin, guys, is because He knows that sin hurts hurt you. Sin will eat away at who you are, and eventually sin leads to death. So when, when God punishes sin, it's not He's not looking to punish you. He's trying to separate you from that sin. And that's why that's why He sent Jesus, right? To die on the cross for us so that His blood, so we would have the ability to separate ourselves from that sin. When you begin to have that reality, that consciousness of who God is and how He how He loves you it becomes much easier to commune with Him, to fellowship with Him, to invite Him in, to look at Him and say, Lord, Your honor's on the line here. Because you know that he, He's never going to fail. You know, my, or, uh, He never leaves you nor forsakes you, and He'll never fail you. And these are all scriptures, guys, that you can grab a hold of. So... One of the things, Sister Peggy, who again was one of the intercessors, one of the things she said was, we had a consciousness of God, which created a great confidence in our souls, which refused to accept defeat. 
Grab a hold of that, guys. Think about that. When you're praying for something, right? We all face stubborn situations. It's not, not saying it, it. Not everything happens right right after you pray, but. If you get a consciousness of who God is and you have a confidence, you develop a faith that says, regardless of what I'm seeing in the natural around me, this is what God says, and it's going to happen. Now, I may have to pray, and I may have to pull it out of that spiritual realm and bring it so that it manifests here on earth in the natural, but you have a confidence that it, that, that is going to happen because God said it would. And that's, that's what these people, that's what this woman is saying. Uh, I started to talk to you. One of the men saved at Arnall was Donald McPhail. He's 16 years old. I know we got some of our some of our young bucks in here that are about that age now themselves, and and he he really as soon as he got saved he went deep into prayer and and he started reading the Word of God and he developed an intimacy with God. And, and he knew God. And, and I'm going to talk about kind of four different ways he knew God. He knew God as a king, as a father, as a savior, and as a deliverer. And one of the things, guys, that I encourage you to do, um, if you're ever struggling with understanding God and understanding who he is, look at um, the different names of God. Jesus taught us to pray, right? And he said, the first line of that prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. Why do you think he told us to hallow his name? I mean, God's not a, you know, it's, he, God's not a prideful person. Why, why are we hallowing? Why are we reverencing? Because his, in his name are promises. I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I am Jehovah Sidkenu, your righteousness. He, in his names, there's a promise to you. And one of, one of these things I thought was interesting was, you know, we're saying he, he's, God is a, is a king, and we're to hallow his name. And uh, Duncan Campbell, right, the main preacher of this revival, came to visit Donald McPhail one day. And, and he found him uh, sitting in a barn, reading his Bible, and kind of, you know, quietly praying to himself. And, and Duncan Campbell, and, and I kind of picture, I'm trying to give you guys a, a kind of a word picture uh, image. So imagine uh, it's uh, during, um, during the revival at Brownsville, and Steve Hill comes up to you, right? And he, and he says, excuse me, Fernando, can I, spend a, can I, can I have a minute of your time? You know, you're, if you're like most people, you're probably saying, yes, Mr. Hill, what can I do? You know, because you want to honor the man of God. You want to respect the man of God. Um, Donald McPhail, and he was, very, he was very polite, but he said, excuse me a little while, Mr. Campbell. I'm having an audience with the king. He was there in his time of prayer, and he was communing. He was fellowshipping with the Lord. And he said, you know, Mr. Campbell, I respect you. I honor you. I love what God's doing in your life. But right now, I'm having my moment with the king. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute here when that's done, right? So he understood that God was a king. And, and guys, the Lord has made us his, his kings and his priests here on earth. It's what the Bible says. It says we're ambassadors, ambassadors of his kingdom. You are a holy and a royal priesthood. And, and that's, that's a promise that if you get a hold of, it's going to help usher in revival, not only uh, corporately, but in your own personal life. Second thing, oh, oh I'm sorry, I'll go back here. So I give you some scripture verses here. Psalms 29, 10, and Psalms 103, 19. I'm going to read you guys Psalms 29, verses 1 through 11. 
Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And now he starts to talk about who the Lord is. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God's glory thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, and the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert, and the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and the Lord is enthroned as a king forever. The Lord gives strength to His people, and the Lord blesses His people with peace. So guys, the Lord is the king. He created all. Everything is under Him, right? We talk about how with Jesus, one of the, and we like to say, you know, the enemy is His footstool, right? He's, he's under Him. The Lord sits above all. All is created by Him, and He's above it. And when we realize that He's King, there's nothing that the enemy can bring against you that's too big for God. There's nothing the enemy can can try to bring forth in your life that that God doesn't have the ability to see you through and to turn for your to to your glory and for your your uh, furtherment. And it says the Lord gives strength to His people; He blesses His people with peace. So these are guys. These are this is the Almighty God, and He's the King. And he's for you. You get that? Like he's for you. He wants your he wants you to prosper. He wants the best for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you, right? Amen. All right. Next, uh, Donald McPhail knew him as father. And I'm gonna again I'm gonna read out of Psalms 103 now. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all that's within me, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives your sins and heals your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not... He will not always accuse nor harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve us to be treated or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens is above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father, Abba Father. He loves us, guys. He loves you. And it continues on, guys, and it, and it talks about how He watches over us. Um, and it says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. He is King. He is Father to us. Donald McPhail was in the police station one night. You may ask, why was he in the police station? Back during the revival, guys, that's where a lot of the, these people went. They, again, they didn't know where to go, right? <laughs> you wake up and you're like, something is not right. I don't know what it is, but something's not right. And uh, a lot of these people ended up, they, they wandered down the street. They ended up in the police station. So uh, they're, they're there, and uh, 
they ask Donald McPhail to, to pray. And he, so he stands up, and there's all these people, right? And they're confused, and they don't know what's going on, and they know that they're not right. And Donald McPhail stands up, and he, again, he's 16 years old. And I'm sure he's thinking, Lord, what do you want me to pray? He clasps his hands together, and he just looks up and he yells, Father! Lord's presence come. People just start falling out under the power of God. With that, with that call, right? Abba, Father. The Lord just moved in and it swept through that. And all the people got touched by the presence of God. They understood now who God was. They understood He is our Father. We can call upon Him. And that came about because this young man had that intimacy with the Lord. He understood the Lord. He knew who the Lord was. He knew that God was His Abba, Father. He called on that and, and God moved in power with that. Alright, so we know Donald McPhail's now, we talked about God as King, God as Father. We talk about God as, as the Savior. So, uh, Donald was in another prayer meeting in a town called Kalanish. And uh, again, this was, <laughs> you're going to notice a pattern here, guys. These people weren't known for living righteously and holy before the Lord. It, I mean, this town, this entire area, this group of islands were basically living for themselves, right? They were living for, uh, oh, what's that? Song by Lecrae, I think he says like Jehovah me or something like that. But basically, they they were their own God. They had enthroned themselves. And uh, Donald comes and and the Lord told him, and this is what he prayed. He prayed that that though he said, Lord, those that are dead uh, dead in sin, I pray that the power of God would lay a hold of them and transform them into living stones in the temple of God. And what he was referencing, guys, was First Peter verse uh, two verses four and five that says. As you come to him, the living stone, who was rejected by humans, right? Jesus was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he was saying, he was praying over these people, and he was saying, let, let God be your Savior. Let him take you out of that life that you're in, that's, that's empty, and that's, that's not, it's without meaning, it's without value. He said, let, let me make you a living stone. Let your life become a living sacrifice, and be built into this, this temple of God. Be built into the kingdom of God, and let your life be worth something. And, and again, as he prayed that over the people, um, you know, the power of God moved, and, and they all, you know, gave their life to the Lord, and, and, they, and, they, and they came to know Jesus as Savior at that point. Last one we're going to talk about, guys, is, is knowing God as, as, as the Deliverer. And um, Duncan Campbell was, was ministering in a, in a meeting in a place called, uh, and I hope I get this right, Bernara, I believe was how it was. And it was interesting. He, he, he got halfway through the meeting, and he knew going into the meeting that there was going to be warfare. And he said there was just heaviness over the meeting, right? And he's up there, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's doing all he knows to do. And he's, he's trying to honor the Lord. And this heaviness, it just it won't break. It just, it, it's, it's, it's stuck, and, and, he, and he feels it. And he looks over, and he sees Donald McPhail there, um, on his knees, praying, tears running down his eyes. 
and, and it says in the book, it says he thought to himself, my God, this boy is closer to the Lord than I am. And, and you know, you got to be humble, right? You want the Lord to move. So Duncan Campbell said, Donald, will you come up and pray for these people? I want you, you come up here. So, so Donald goes, comes up and um, he gets up to pray and, and, and he says, Oh God, I seem to be gazing through an open door. I see the Lamb in the midst of the throne and with the keys of death and hell in his girdle. He says, Oh God, there is power. Let it loose. Right? And he was referencing, he'd been studying that morning out of the fourth chapter of Revelation where it says, I seem to be gazing through an open door and I see the Lamb. And he's in this spiritual warfare, right? And he, and he feels it around him, but he, he, he dismisses that. That's of the world. That's of the Satan's kingdom. His eyes are on, on Jesus. And he says, guys, I, I, God, I, I see you. I see the Lamb of God. And I know that there's power here. And I know that that power of your kingdom is greater than the power of Satan's kingdom. He says, Lord, I know there's power here. Let it loose. And when he did, when he said, let it loose, the Spirit of God swept through that place. And all of those people that had been stuck in bondage began manifesting, right? And they began being set free. Those bondages began breaking off of those people and they, and they were delivered. And that, um, as I was reading this, it made me think a little bit about... Um, John Eldridge, who's who's an author I like to read, he wrote a book called Wild at Heart. And uh, for all the men in the room, I, I recommend I recommend you read it. It's it's it helps you to understand, help me anyway, to understand how God views us as men and 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 the warriors that we're we're called to be. But one of the things that he he talked about, I read one time, um, he did a a blog on Psalms three seven that says, "Arise, O Lord, and deliver." me. And, uh, you know, Donald McPhail knew, knew God as a deliverer. But what, what, what John Eldridge was talking about when he, when he did this, when he gave this, uh, this blog, he talked about knowing God as a deliverer versus knowing God as a preventer. And, and what his point that he was making is, most of us, we want God to be a preventer in our life. Meaning, we don't want to go through the battle, right? We don't want to walk out what, what, is, what is put in front of us. But there's times in our lives, guys, that there's a reason that that's there. There's a reason for that battle. You're being matured. You're having your rough edges worn off. And if God was always a, a preventer, you're not going to grow. As you're spiritually, you, you're gonna you're gonna get kind of fat. You're gonna get lazy, and you're not gonna be what God has called you to be. But God is a deliverer. He will he'll let you face some things, but he's, his word says he'll never give you more than what you can handle. And when you get to that point where you can't handle it anymore, he's gonna step in and he's gonna deliver you out of that. He's a way maker. He's a path maker, and that's and that's what. That's what John McPhail knew too. He was a deliverer. He knew these people were in bondage. There's a story I'm going to tell you guys later where the gentleman got to the very precipice of whether his life was going to end um, or if he was going to continue on and see a better day. And at that time, God, God reached down and he delivered him. And I'm going to talk to you about that a little later on. But God's never going to let you face more than what you can handle. And he's always going to be a deliverer. may not be a preventer, right? You're going to walk through some stuff. But 
there, but he's going to be a deliverer, and he's going to he's going to rescue you before you get to your your limit. All right, guys. So we talked about what brings revival: atmosphere soaked in prayer, faith in a covenant keeping God, a reality, a consciousness of understanding who God is. Next is humility, guys. We have to be humble. God will not move if you're in pride. But guys, when I first got saved, the the I was in Atlanta, and uh, I was living I was living by myself. Wendy was here in Dallas, and uh, I, you know, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I was I was young. I was a baby Christian. It was awesome. I was uh, I was excited. I wanted to I wanted to do for the Lord, right? I wanted to get out and I wanted to preach and I wanted to tell people about all their sin. I wanted to yell at them and then I wanted to hug them and I wanted to save them and. And, and I wanted all this, and I wanted God's kingdom to come forth. Um, and one night I was sitting there, and I was praying in my bedroom, and I was sitting on my bed, and this is one of the few times in my life I, I heard the audible voice of God. And, and He said, I can't do anything with you until you get rid of the pride in your life. And at that point in my life, guys, that was a problem for me. That's how I defined myself. I, I grew up being taught that pr- pride was a good thing. Right? I'm going to be the best at everything I do. Not, not to give God glory, but to, to give me glory. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I got hired into corporate America because I told the lady interviewing me, no one will ever outwork me, and I'll continue to work until I'm the best at it, and I will be your best salesperson. I, and I was just, I was proud of myself, and I always and, and corporate America, the world, guys, they, they lied that. They go, oh, that's that's great. Yeah, you you you're the best. And guys, our works without God is worthless, right? We have to be humble before the Lord. Um, that scripture, that the scripture that that brought about this entire revival. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, have to humble ourselves, and then we pray, right? First we humble ourselves, then we pray. We seek His face. Uh, James 4, 6 also. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That'll get you. Anyone want God opposing you? How far do you think you're going to get in your endeavor if God is opposing you? Yeah. Alright, so we, uh, we've now, we're humble. We've soaked the atmosphere with prayer. We're in faith. We understand who God is. We're humbled. We have to have clean hands and a pure heart. Pastor talks about this all the time. God's not going to let His glory dwell where sin resides. He may, you know, the anointing may be there. People may may be able to give a good word, but God's presence, right? Like we learned about at Azusa, that glory mist cloud. He's not going to stay, and He's not going to reside where there's sin there. And uh, in, I gave you guys a couple scriptures here. James four eight. It says, come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Got to have clean hands, guys. Our actions, right? And what, what does clean hands mean? That means your actions, right? How are you living your life? What are you doing? Are you glorifying God? Are you living your life in a way that's going to honor Him? And not just when, right, when I'm watching you. When you're at home by yourself, when you're in the, your own bedroom with the door shut, when you're, one of the things, that, and this always stuck with me, guys, one of the things, uh, corporate America, right, 
a lot of times you're in you're in an office building and you've got you've got all sorts of levels of people there all the way from the top level C executives who are walking around in two thousand dollar suits um, all the way down to you know uh, a guy who's who's a, a custodian janitor worker there who's mopping the floor and guess what God loves both of those two the same. And in his eyes, there's no difference in those two people. It, that that the, the custodian's soul is worth every single bit as much as the CEO's soul, and vice versa. God doesn't distinguish. But how do how do you treat people? And I've seen I've seen people that they get to a certain level, and those that are under them are. They're trash. They're nothing. I mean, they, they you're there to serve me is basically how they are. And I've seen people, you know, they'll see a janitor, a custodian, and they'll just throw trash down on the floor and expect them to pick it up, right? And 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 I promise you, that hurts God's heart. That 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 person has value, and that that person, in God's eyes, is worth every bit as much as that. But then I've also seen people that. Um, go out of their way. I've seen people, like I said, walking around in a, a $1,500 Armani suit who will will see someone pushing a, a big trash can full of things and they'll go and open the door for them. Or they'll hold the door while they come through with their mop, their mop water in their bucket. That's living with clean hands. That's when no one else is looking. And they're not doing it because people are seeing them, right? They're doing it because... That's God's filled them up, and they're living the way they're supposed to live. They're humbling themselves, and they're putting others. They're serving others, right? So Jesus said, "We're to be servants." That's living with clean hands, a pure heart. What are your motives? You can do good things, guys, with the wrong motives, and God doesn't approve. You can, you, if your heart is not right in what you're doing. It's not, it's not pleasing to the Lord. So that's what we have to have clean hands. We have to be living right. We have to be living holy. We have to have a pure heart. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? Who's going to be there when revival happens? Those that have clean hands and a pure heart. Alright. Last thing, guys. Your life has to be surrendered to God. You can't can't say, God, you can have this, but you can't have that, right? We can't say, Lord, you're Lord over all of these things, but I got my one thing over here that I'm going to keep back. That, that doesn't work. If you want revival, you got to lay your life completely, entirely on the cross. And, and pastor's been teaching us about this. Are you willing to pay the price? Whatever, whatever that is, are you willing to lay it down? You know, maybe it may be creature comforts. It may be that you know the revival hits, and you've got to stop your. You got to quit your job, or you got to work a job that you're not being paid as much, but it gives you more flexibility and time to to be there. And what does that mean? It may mean you have to have a. You live in a smaller house. You you have a less fancy car, but I promise you that means nothing if you're spending each day and each night with the presence of God. You're living in His and communing with Him. And you may not have to give any of that up, but in your heart, right? He judges our heart. Are you willing to? If you're called to, are, are you willing to? And your life has to be surrendered. I wanted to read something to you guys. It's a, you don't want to be like the people in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. 
And what it says there, it says, but understand this, that in the last days, and who thinks we're living in the last days, guys? Yeah. Yeah. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, but treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than being lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's not a life surrendered to God. That's not what you want to be. Right? Instead, though, I want you guys to think about those that were gathered in the upper room. Right? You had 120 people that were together. They were in unity. They were in prayer. And they were doing, they were obeying the word of God. Right? Jesus told them, go and wait. Go wait for the Holy Spirit. They, they could have gone out and tried to continue preaching Jesus, right? But that's not what he told them to do. He said, go together, go wait for the, the, the helper, and I'll send them to you. So what did they do? They went in unity, they prayed, they sat, and they expectantly, they with faith, waited for him to come. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated... And came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's what you want, guys. That's a life surrendered. That's what brings about revival. Alright. So guys, we talked about God's a covenant-keeping God. We talked about what brings revival. Atmosphere soaked in prayer. Faith. Reality. Do you understand? Do you know God? Do you know who He is? Do you know Him? Being humble, having clean hands and a pure heart, and having a surrendered life to God. So if that happens, right, you do all those things, you've now fulfilled your part of the covenant. So what, what, what can you expect? What is God going to do at that point? So we're going to talk about the effects of revival, right? And we already talked about some of them, right? The Spirit of God comes in, He shakes the dishes, He wakes people up. He, you know, you see people getting saved, you see people getting healed. Um, when I wanted to read something to you, when a community becomes saturated with God, right? And that's what that's what revival is. What does revival mean? It means that God came down and He He tabernacled, He fellowshiped with His people. If if a community becomes saturated with God, His universal presence becomes inescapable at home, in church, at work, and by the roadside. So what does that mean? That means that, you know, we come here and we feel the presence of the Lord, right? A lot of us, we go home and we have our prayer time and we feel the presence of the Lord. Imagine if that presence of the Lord, that thick weightiness that some of you feel when pastor prays and you're down on the ground. Imagine if everywhere you went you felt that. Imagine if all over Dallas-Fort Worth people were feeling that. Right? And we, we, we build up a little bit of, we build up stamina. You get, you get, I don't want to say you get used to, but you learn how to operate in that, that glory and in that presence and in that weightiness. Earlier tonight when, uh, when Brianna was singing and the worship team was leading us, and, and, and thank you, you guys do an amazing job, the weightiness, the glory came in on one song. And I was sitting there and I could feel my flesh getting weak as, I'm, as I was uh, standing there and I was singing. And I thought to myself, oh Lord, I hope I'm going to be able to get up here and preach tonight. <laughs> I hope that I'm going to be able to, to function in this. Because, you know, His glory has got a weightiness to it. 
Imagine if all of Dallas-Fort Worth felt that. Imagine people who've never even experienced God. Maybe they've gone to church their whole life, but it's not a church that invites God in. Maybe they haven't gone to church. Maybe they're worshiping other gods. They feel that presence. That's what these people saw. That's what. That's why these people st- woke up in the middle of the night and stumbled out, you know, into the street, going, "What's happening? I don't get it." Psalms one thirty nine seven says, "Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence?" When the spirit of God comes, guys, it's inescapable. You can't get away from it. Uh, a quote out of Hugh uh, Black's book talking about the Hebrides revival. He said, I have found in Lewis a great quickening of the spiritual facilities. In a peculiar way, the veil between this world and the spiritual world seems very thin. God and the things of God have become very real. That's what I want, guys. I want that veil between this natural world in the kingdom of heaven. I want that so thin that we just reach out and grab it and pull it down, right? On earth as it is in heaven. When I pray for someone, I want I want the kingdom of heaven to flow through me. When I lay hands on someone, I want them to feel the love that God has for them. I want them to feel the holy conviction of what they're if they've got sin in their life, that I want them to feel that separation. Have you you guys ever felt a separation from God? Have you ever been in His presence or or feeling Him and then do something you know you shouldn't have and you feel that absence? I tell you, it'll shake you. I told you I got saved. You know, I was in Atlanta. I was living by myself. I'd only been saved a month or two. Um... And I, I wasn't living completely with pure hands and or with clean hands and a pure heart yet. And um, I, I went to a, I went to a party and um, you know I, up until that point in my life I'd been a smoker and, and the Lord took that away from me and I and I thank Him for that. Um, but I was at I was at a party and I, I was smoking or I wasn't smoking. I, I'd been I'd stopped smoking two weeks ago because the Lord told me to. And uh, one of my friends offered me a cigarette. I said no. Nah, I said I don't want to give him that up. Yeah, come on, you you know you know how the world is. Come on, you want? No, no, I really I really don't want it. Come on, right, you know, partially just to get them off my case, partially because you know my part of my flesh still wanted it, right? And I, I took it and I lit I lit that cigarette up and I and I took a drag off of it, and all of a sudden, again, I was young in the Lord, guys, like three weeks saved. I didn't know what I'd done, but I knew I messed up. <laughs> I had felt the Lord. I, I didn't even know I'd felt the Lord, but all of a sudden I knew I didn't feel the Lord. And uh, that that absence of His presence, right? Uh, you don't want to know. You don't want to feel that. You want to know His presence is close. You want to you want to be so close to Him that when someone that that isn't living for Him, when when you go to speak to them, you want to know that you can you can pull on heaven. You can pull on the glory and, and the anointing, and you can deliver it into that person's life so that they can you're helping them come up out of that miry clay and setting their foot upon the rock and that's what revival is about it's helping people that have not known god to come out of the situation they're in into a right standing with god so that their eternal soul can be saved that they can know the love of god they can know who he is and the will that he has for their life and that's one of the effects of revival and that's one of the reasons that pastor and the eldership and the worship team and the intercessors 
that's why we're going after this, guys. We want, we want, you know, we go out and we witness, and, and some of you come off of the street witnessing into the church, and that's awesome. We want to see that on a large scale, right? We want to see, we want to see God move and to, and to bring in the harvest. And in a big way in doing that, right, is Paul, when Paul said, you know, silver and gold I, I, I have not, but that which I have let me give you. And I don't speak with eloquent words, but with demonstrations of power in the Spirit. You can only demonstrate power in the Spirit if you're living with God, and that spiritual realm is as close to you as this natural realm. And, and that's what, that's what, at re, that's in Hebrides, that was what the atmosphere was. Alright, so some of the things that you saw, what were the effects of revival? Strong conviction. Alright guys, we talked about the people wandering out in the middle of the night. One gentleman uh, said he didn't have time. He didn't have time for God. He didn't have time for that revival. He was a businessman. He was driving his truck. He's driving along the road. All of a sudden, in front of him, the road disappears. And he has an open vision of hell before him. Yeah. He saw the people down there. He saw the torment, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. He saw the flames of fire. Guess what he did, guys? He pulled over. (laughs) He got out of his car. He got down on his knees. He said, Lord, I'm sorry. I need you. Don't let, I don't want to, I don't want to see that, right? So, you know, when the presence of God comes, strong conviction. It's not just, you know, I feel a little bit bad. This was my soul, my eternal salvation, my eternal uh, future is on the line here. And, and that, you know, he was able to, he was able to be saved because of the mercy and the grace of God. The inability to escape God's reach. I don't know how you guys were. I was a little resistant to the chasing of the Lord in the beginning. And, and, and for lots of reasons, I uh, I didn't think that I needed the Lord. A big part, I'm sure, of that was I told you guys earlier, I was very proud of myself. Right? I, I thought I could self-sustain, which... Uh, if you guys don't know, that that's not true. <laughs> you can't self-sustain. Um, but the Lord kept sending people in my life, right? It was my family. It was people that would witness to me on the street. It was co-workers. The Lord is always reaching out to us. He's always trying to gather us in. So there's a story about a young man. He was in one of these towns where there were bars and there were dance halls and the power of God sweeps through his town and all of his friends are getting saved. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to give up this lifestyle. My flesh likes this lifestyle. So someone witnesses to him and he's like, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to drink my way out of this. So he, he heads down to the bar to get, you know, get drunk. And uh, he gets there and he walks in. He goes to order a beer. And he hears three or four guys sitting there talking about their need for the Lord and how... They were in sin, and they were they were fearful that their eternal salvation and soul would be damned to hell. And he goes, man, all right, I'm done with this place. I'm going to go to the dance hall. I, maybe I can't drink, but I'm going to go dance. So he makes his way to the dance hall. He gets inside, and he, he notices this young woman walking up to him. He's like, all right, you know, here we go. Young lady coming my way. He's thinking she wants to dance. She gets up to him, the, the, the first words out of her mouth, Oh, where would eternity find us tonight if God should strike us dead? 
He didn't like that answer either. But when she did that, right, the, the, the conviction of God fell on him. He began to tremble. And, and he's like, he's like, God, I'm not going to run anymore. I can't get away from you, right? I ran away from the guy witnessing to me. I went to the bar to get drunk. There's people there talking. I run away from the bar. I go to the dance hall. The ladies in the dance hall are witnessing. I hear you, God. So he, you, you guys, when, when there's revival, when God is saturating the atmosphere, you don't have the ability to escape that. He said some people literally left the islands of the Hebrides. They, they, they were so resistant to the Lord, they knew if they stayed on the island, they couldn't get away from it. So they literally packed up and left. I would hate to be those people, but when God is moving, guys, you, you can't get away from it. You remember last, last month we were talking about the guy who uh, he'd gone, or actually I guess it was two months ago because it was the camp meetings. Uh, the, the guy had gone and he tried to leave and he went to the bar, had the same experience and uh, ended up breaking down and crying in front of his friend and going, we got to get right with the Lord. <laughs> yes, that's, how the, that's how the Lord operates. All right, strong conviction. Disruption of daily activities with fear and trembling leading to repentance. So they told stories, guys, in there of the people. There were fishermen that were out on their boats fishing, right? And the power of God came on them and conviction hit them and they couldn't fish anymore. They had to, they had to bring their boats back in and they go to church. There were men that were at the manufacturing looms making clothes. Again, they had to stop. They couldn't work. There were tellers at banks, teachers that were in the middle of grading papers that would just get up and leave the classroom and go to the church because they were under such conviction. They, they, they couldn't continue living their life the way they had until they got right with God. It disrupted daily activities. When we, when we say that you know God He's at home, He's in the church, He's at work, He's on the roadside, you don't you can't escape him. That that convicting presence is around you. So strong conviction is one one effect of revival. Supernatural manifestations. So they told stories of angels singing. So a lot they were saying that people would be walking along at night and they would hear this beautiful singing and they would follow it and it was angels singing and when they would get to where they were hearing it they would find it would be people that were in prayer meetings and intercession and the prayer the people that were praying weren't singing they were just there praying but the people outside heard the angels singing around right because when we're praying guys that 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 attracts the the angels of the lord that attracts angelic activity that the presence and the kingdom of god wants to be near that and these people would go and they would find they would hear the angels singing they would follow they said one of the times it was the barn that we talked about where the seven men were praying to start with people would hear angels singing there all the time another time they said there were two little women that were interceding and they they heard angels there as well supernatural manifestations visions of Jesus Christ and supernatural uh, lights in the heavenlies they said one night during revival uh, they were outside and a clear band of light crossed the sky and then a second one crossed it and there was this huge cross in the sky and as they were looking at it they said a, a, a cloud came out of the cross and it was glowing and then out of the cloud uh, Jesus Christ appeared and he had his hand stretched out towards towards them and uh, they said at that point in time they all dropped to the ground right as I'm sure you and I would and they couldn't look up anymore because of the <coughs> excuse me because of the glory 
They said after a few minutes, so they were finally able to look up again, and they said for the rest of that night, for, uh, they would see supernatural lights, right? The angels were, were traveling across the skies, and they could see it. And the interesting thing, guys, the people that were there and that saw this, they said that for the next two to three weeks, their bodies felt amazing. They had supernatural strength. They had a better health than they'd ever had before. Because they were in the presence of the Lord, right? That resurrection life, that Zoe life was flowing through them. Um, so that was another supernatural manifestation. I told you earlier I was going to tell you a story about a man whose life got to the very precipice of whether he was going to live or not before the Lord saved him. There was a woman who was in prayer. She was, she was uh, praying, and the Lord showed her a vision of a man down by the ocean, standing up on the rocks. And he was about to throw himself into the ocean. And, and she knew that the Lord showed her where this place was. So she called her pastor. And she said, Lord, she said, Pastor, I was praying. And the Lord showed me this man. And, and I believe he's about to commit suicide. Would you please go down there? So the pastor leaves immediately. And he gets there. And, and he finds the man that she saw in the vision. And, and he was. He was about to jump. And, and the pastor speaks to him. And he's, he's talking to him. Why are you going to do this? The man had been under such conviction of the Spirit, right? He knew his life wasn't right, and he didn't want to give that up. He didn't want to give up his sin, and the enemy was tormenting him, right? And, that, and that's what the enemy does, right? He knew that this man was in the hotbed of revival, the coals and the fires of revival. He knew this man knew he was not living right, and the next step for this man was going to be to come into the kingdom of God. And the enemy tried to, he tried to grab him before that. He, he put such torment on him. He spoke to him, he, and he tried to get him to commit suicide. He drove him down to those rocks. And, and probably, had that woman not been interceding, and that pastor not gone forth and found him, he probably would have jumped. And he, and he would have ended his life, and he would have been... He would have been eternally in damnation. He would have been, like we, we said, those people, that guy saw the people in hell. That would have been how he spent his eternity. But God was merciful. He led him. He was the deliverer. He wasn't the preventer, right? But he was the deliverer. And at, at that moment that that man was at his lowest, he sent someone and, and they pulled him out. And that man gave his life to the Lord and he got saved. And he went on to become a prayer warrior in the revival. All right, guys. So I'm going to close with these a couple thoughts. Part of revival, guys, is changing the world. We can't change the world if you let the world change you. And the God that we live for is not going to be popular among the people that don't want to live for Him. And that's a reality you have to face. As Pastor was talking about, when we go out witnessing, you may have people that curse at you, you may have people that just turn from you, but that's not from you. They're rejecting God at that point. And God is a sensational God. God, does, God isn't a God of, of boring, right? And, then, and when you're doing what you're called to do, when you're raising the dead, when you're casting out devils, when you're bringing healing and uh, miracles, it's going to turn the world upside down. It's going to disturb those that are around you. And you have to be comfortable with that. And you have to understand that. You have to understand that we're here not to conform to the world, but to help the world come to know Jesus and to know His kingdom and to know His power. We have a miracle working God. 
We have a God that enjoys showing his his power. He enjoys showing his mercy. But he enjoys showing his power because it draws men unto him, right? And and it's those supernatural manifestations. That oftentimes will uh, will be necessary for some of those that are that are hard headed that that aren't really uh, receptive to the word of God. Donald Smith um, was speaking at the Hebrides revival, and this is what he said. He said, "When we went out into the world among the heathen, we did not learn their ways. The gospel is the greatest message that mankind has ever heard or will ever hear." For Christians, they hold in their hands and their hearts the true happiness of millions around the world. We have hope beyond the grave. We have forgiveness and we have a purpose in life. He, he being the Lord, longs for hearts that will love him. And the amazing thing is that he will supply this love to those who are humble enough to receive it. You guys know that? That if you're humble, and you humble yourself before the Lord, even if you're having a hard time loving Him, He will give you the measure of love you need. He'll give you the measure of faith that you need to believe in Him. His Word says that, <coughs> excuse me guys, with the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And He says that every man is given a measure of faith. He does the same with love, guys. He'll help you. If your heart is that, Lord, I want to love you, He will help you to learn to love Him. If you're willing to humble yourself. Alright guys, I'm going to close with this. So, throughout all of this, right? What we, we talked about how we bring about revival. What's the atmosphere? And again, it's not a pattern, guys. But these are things that set the atmosphere to be right for the Lord. We talk about what the effects of that revival will be. What we'll see in this area. But again, it comes back to, guys, God is a covenant-keeping God. He's going to fulfill His promises. If I can tell you one thing, if you're having troubles in your life and something, find a scripture in the Word of God that speaks the opposite of what you're having trouble to, and then you hold on to that, and you speak it forth. Because His Word is not void, and it does not come back without fulfilling what it was sent to do. And that's what these men did. They found Second Chronicles 7.14. If we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek the face of God and, and we turn from our wicked ways, then He'll hear us from heaven. He'll forgive us our sins and He'll heal, he'll hear our, our, heal our land. That works, guys, for revival. That works for any area of your life. If there's something you're struggling with, find a scripture that speaks the truth of that and hold on to it and speak that over your life. And if you don't see it today, speak it tomorrow. And you believe that and you begin to understand who God is and you have a faith that's so resolute that you can't be shaken from that. And when you do that, what you're doing, guys, you're pulling the kingdom of heaven down onto earth. And just like Jesus taught us to pray, you know, that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're that's what we're called to do. You're an ambassador, you're a king, you're a priest before the Lord, and you're called to bring heaven to earth. Not not literally, but you're the manifestations of his presence. And that's that's what revival's all about, guys. Alright, so I think uh I think that's all I had about Hebrides. If it's all right with you, Pastor, I'd like to speak a blessing out to close close us out. And then if we go into... Oh, I completely skipped that. All right, we're going to uh, go back, guys.
I gave you this beautiful sheet. There was a spot halfway through my preaching that I was supposed to stop and play this so that you could hear it. But, thankfully we serve a Lord that's merciful and gracious. Um, what you, Guys, what this is, we're going to go ahead and play an audio tape. This is Duncan Campbell actually speaking about the revival. Um, it's a little difficult to hear, so uh, my lovely wife, Miss Wendy, typed this out for you guys so that you could listen to it. So we'll go ahead and uh, we'll listen to this, and then we'll close out with, uh, with a blessing. So, Pastor, if you could go ahead and play it, that'd be great. For the live streamers, if you pull, it's on the uh, live stream as well. men and women, all over the parish, were gripped by the fear of God. God are my hands clean, is my heart pure. The moment that that happened in the bar, a power was let loose in Barbas that shook the whole of Louis. God stepped out. The Holy Spirit began to move among the people. And the minister writing about what happened on the following morning to this. You met God on Meadow and Moorland. You met Him in the homes of the people. God seemed to be everywhere. What was that? Revival? Revival! Of an evangelist? Of a special effort? Not anything at all organized on the basis of human endeavor. But an awareness of God that gripped the whole community so much more than God. I can remember once, within 24 hours, addressing eight meetings, crowded churches, There was a dancing program that night, and while this young man was praying in the aisle, the power of God moved into that dance, and the young people, over a hundred of them, fled from the dance as those being from a plague, and they made for the church. I endeavoured to get up into the pulpit. I found the way blocked with young people who had been at the dance. When I went into the pulpit, I found a young woman, a graduate of Aberdeen University, who was at the dance. And she's lying on the floor of the pulpit crying, Is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? God was at work. Well, that meeting continued until four o'clock in the morning. Mr. Campbell, there must be anything between two and three hundred people at the police station. 
Zergado Terran Samaron der Now I can't understand this Now he, he wasn't in the church you see But here a crowd of men and women From a neighboring village Five and six miles away Were so moved by God that they found themselves moving to the police station because the constable there was a God-fearing and well-saved man. They were there. And this young man begged of me to go along to the police station. And I went along. And I shall never, never forget what my ears heard and my eyes saw that morning young men were kneeling by the roadside I think just now of a group of half a dozen one of them under the influence of drink and his old mother kneeling beside him and saying oh Willie, Willie are you coming at last Something wonderful has happened. Revival has broken out. And Willie today is the parish minister. And from the group of young men who sought the Lord that night, there are nine in the ministry. Never been open since. 
The men who used to drink there and spend the evening there are now praying in our prayer meeting. It is because they entered into the fullness. It is because the people of Louis grasped that truth that we can say today we know practically nothing of backsliding from that gracious movement of years ago. My dear people, did you good folk understand what revival means? Have you a conception of what it means to see God working? The God of miracles, sovereign, supernatural, moving in the midst of men and hundreds swept into the kingdom. Oh, that we might see it, that we might see. <laughs> That's right, give it a clap. So guys, you got to hear from uh, the man who was actually pastoring over in uh, that revival. Gotta love that accent too, but uh, I love how he closed that out. My dear people, you good folk understand what revival means. You have a conception of what it means to see God working. And I think that's what we're seeking after, right guys? We want to see God at work here. All right, guys, I'm going to close this out in, in prayer, and I'm going to speak a blessing over you. So, Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together tonight to study of this great revival. And, Lord, we ask you, we ask you to commune with us, Lord, tabernacle with us, fellowship with us, Lord. Father, we, we do humble ourselves, Lord, and we pray, Father, and we seek your face. And we turn from our wicked ways, Lord, and we ask you to move amongst us, Lord. We ask you, Father, to forgive us of our sins and to heal this land, Lord. And we ask that what we've learned tonight, Father, that it, that it get down into the spiritual DNA of who we are and prepare us for the times ahead of us, Lord. Prepare our hearts, Father, so that when revival comes, we're ready, Lord. That we've already considered what it may cost. And we've made, we've made up in our mind resolute, Father, that we're willing to pay whatever that cost is, Lord. And we thank you for it, Lord. Father, I speak over those that are here tonight, Lord. I bless them. I bless River of Life. I bless our live streamers. I bless those who may be listening to this. I declare over you that you will experience a supernatural joy and a peace in your life, that it will show consistently on your countenance, and it will bring glory to God all the days of your life. I declare that you are a child of God and that He claims you as His own. His blessings are on you and they'll follow you all the days of your life. I declare that you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath and you will not know want or lack. But instead, God's blessings will chase you down and overcome you. They'll be a testament to His glory, the love He has for you, His child. Right now, I curse the plans of Satan against God's perfect will for your life. I command that those plans will wither and die. They will not bear fruit and they will not produce a harvest. But instead, you will see the perfect will of God come forth. You will walk in abundance and all you put your hand to will prosper. Your prayer time will be deep, rich, and intimate with the Lord. You have a deep understanding of who you are in Christ. I bless you to live boldly and confidently because you know that Jesus has made you a co-heir to the throne. You are an ambassador of the Lord's heavenly kingdom and you operate on the earth as a king and as a priest. And Lord, we close this out tonight. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And we ask you, Lord, 
You've heard our hearts, Father. And we ask you, move freely among us, Lord. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name.